Well, good morning. I need a few more seconds in that bumper video this morning to get everything set up, but how are you guys doing today? I'm so glad that you are here and have chosen to join with us this morning. And if it's your first time here or your first time joining us online, or it's been a while since you've been with us, we are glad that you're here, but we want you to know you're joining in the middle of a series that we're calling GOAT. And it's in this series where we're exploring the idea that Jesus is the greatest of all time. And our source for this discussion of Jesus as the greatest of all time, we're looking at different roles that Jesus plays as the greatest of all time, is the book of Hebrews. Now it's found towards the end of the New Testament or the second half of your Bible. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, you want to pull that out and start looking, I'll tell you where to be in just a minute. But so far, we've discovered through the bir- our journey through this book of Hebrews that the author of Hebrews and the audience he was writing to was really, really familiar with the Old Testament, right? And so a lot of us are not. And so it takes a little while of going back and trying to figure out, okay, what is this story he's telling? What is this image he's using? How does that image affect my life today and what does it mean and how does it impact how I live in, the tw- in 2022? So, so far, Hebrews chapters one through four is how far we've gotten so far. We've discovered that Jesus is the greatest of all time savior, the greatest of all time hero, and, the, and he provides, because he's the savior and because he's the hero, Jesus provides the greatest of all time, the greatest rest of all time. So this morning we will continue to see Jesus make rest available to us in the midst of our world. And in the midst of our world, it seems like rest is almost impossible. A world that's now at war, that's changed in the last week. A world that seems like peace is nowhere to be found, a world with broken relationships, a world with daily trials and hurt and stress. How's Jesus going to provide rest in the middle of that? And I think that's the truth of Hebrews chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles open or your phones open, Hebrews chapter 5, if this is your first time here and you're like, I don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. If you want to follow along, you can go to your app store and download the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, If you're reading online, I am reading from the New Living Translation this morning. And once you find Hebrews 5, whether it's paper Bible or not, you might put your finger there and then flip a couple pages over to Hebrews chapter 7. And what we're going to do is go back and forth today between Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 7. Yes, I like Hebrews 6. That's Dan's job to unpack that one next week. All right? So we're just, we're not skipping 6 for all of you who are like, wait, why did we skip 6? We're not. We're coming back. It's just the way the author kind of lies it out. And the truth that we're going to be unpacking today is this. The true priest makes peace between God and us forever. Now, don't miss that because it's going to take us a while to get through that statement. And some of you might be like, oh, I totally got that. I know exactly what that means. Others of you might be like, I don't know what any of those words mean. I mean, maybe peace and us. But other than that, I'm like, okay, what's going on? But the point we're looking at is the true priest makes peace between God and us forever. So hopefully by the end of the time we walk today, you'll understand fully what that sentence means. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. 
He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he's able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That's why we must offer sacrifices. That's why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. All right? So there's a lot in there that we're even like, that does not make sense in my daily context. Most of us in today's world don't think a lot about a priest. Or if we do think about a priest, it doesn't necessarily have really great connotations. Right? For the last decade or so, that term has lost a lot of trust, it's lost a lot of respect, and it's like, uh, maybe I don't want to be associated with a priest. And so what is a priest? As we walk through this passage today, we're going to try to answer four questions. And that's the first one. What's a priest? So Old Testament priests were normal everyday people chosen from the tribe of Levi. You kind of get a real glimpse of what they are in verse 1. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. A priest is a mediator. He's a go-between. He's someone who mediates a relationship between God and man. You see, because since the beginning of time, God wanted a relationship with us. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter in your Bible, God creates the world and he creates you and I, mankind, to live in relationship with him, all right? Now, here's the truth of the Bible. That lasted for Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. And then in Genesis chapter three, we messed it up, right? Because God created this perfect place where Adam and Eve walked in the garden with him. They were in perfect relationship with him. Everything was great. But he said, the only thing you can't do is eat that apple or eat from that tree, eat that fruit. We don't actually know if it's an apple. It's always portrayed in an apple in our kids' books, right? But we don't know. But don't eat from that tree. And so sure enough, what did they do? They ate from the tree. The relationship with God was broken. That's not God's design. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to be in relationship with us. So immediately almost in the next book, Exodus, God establishes a priesthood. And the goal of the Old Testament priest was to mediate and repair that relationship, to be a go-between. He would pray to God on behalf of the people. He would offer sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. But he wasn't perfect either. He's just a guy like you and me. And so he had to offer sacrifices for his sins because his relationship with God was broken too. And so no one can say, and no one can just wake up one morning and be like, I want to be a priest, right? Like that's the point of Hebrew, the Hebrews authors. You're saying, like, this is not just something everybody gets to do. It'd be like me waking up this morning, getting on Facebook and being like, I'm the president of the United States. You'd all be like, our new pastor has lost his mind. We don't know what's wrong with him, but I'm not sure I want to come back to church here. That guy's crazy. It would be the same thing for someone to just walk up and say, I want to be a priest because you had to be from a specific tribe. Again, we've got to know the Old Testament. So I'm going to ask you to get a little bit into the weeds with me today. There's this person, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12 that God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to everybody around you. And you're going to have a bunch of kids. And those kids are going to form the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So that's what he does. One of those kids, his name is Levi. 
So we've got the tribe of Levi. But that's not enough. You can't just be from the tribe of Levi. You've got to be from the, tri- from the family of Aaron, right? So if you start breaking this down, we're like walking down a family tree. It's a select group of people who are chosen to be priests. And Jesus, all of a sudden, declares when he heals, you might know this story. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, uh, the, the, the story is the guy's paralyzed and his friends bring him, but they can't get him in the house, right? So they got to climb up on the roof, cut a hole in the house. They drop their friend down in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus say to that guy? He doesn't say, get up and walk. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And the people in the house are not like excited. They're like scandalized by this because who is this guy? Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He's not from the family of Aaron. His family's Judah. And they're like, wait, Judah doesn't have priests. So that's why it's so scandalous. So let me help you kind of understand a little bit of this priesthood concept that we don't really get, right? And I'm going to show you a picture, and you're going to think I've lost my mind when I show you this picture, but just bear with me as we take a look at this. So here's a picture. You can throw it up on the screen. Yep, that's a car engine of a Subaru Forester. So if you're curious, just bear with me here. We're going to keep that. So the truth is, this is the part of the car that scares me the most. It doesn't scare me because I'm afraid of the horsepower in it. It doesn't scare me because I don't know how to drive. It scares me because when it breaks, I'm going to be out a lot of money, right? I have no problem going out, pushing the button on my car. That's still a little weird. I'd rather turn a key, but I push the button. The car starts. We back it out. I have no problem driving. I have no problem driving fast. I have no problem being an aggressively offensive driver. That's the way my wife and I have coined the term, right? So that doesn't bother me at all. Totally good with that. But when I get in my car and it won't start, I have no clue what to do. If I push that button and it doesn't immediately turn over and we can't back out of the garage, I'm like, uh, well, what do I do now? Right? And maybe some of you are in this place. Others of you are like, oh, that just gave me the best weekend ever because now I get to spend my whole weekend tinkering on my car. And some of you fix it or like play with your engine, the car engine, even when it's not broken because that's what you think is fun. I spend fun other ways on my weekends. That's not, not where I'm at. But when this car breaks, when that engine won't start, I have to take my car to a temple of sorts. A place set aside for a unique purpose, right? That's what a temple is. The temple in the Old Testament is a place set aside for a unique purpose. That purpose was so they could meet God. But I'm not going to go to an auto shop and have lunch. I'm not going to be like, hey, where's the tables and chairs? Where's my waiter to take my order? I'm going to the auto shop for a unique reason. My car's broken. And at that auto shop, there are a unique gift, a unique person with a unique set of gifts and talents, and that gift and talent is to fix what's broken, right? So this guy can come out. He's got a unique set of gifts that I do not possess. He can put my car up on a rack, plug it into a machine, look at it and be like, your car's broken. It needs fixed. 
God has uniquely gifted him for that. And he's been uniquely gifted to fix what's broken. That's exactly what the temple and the priesthood were in the Old Testament. It's a unique place set aside for the worship of God, where God would come and dwell among his people. And the priests were a unique, gifted set of people who would come down and fix our broken relationship with God. Right? That's how it worked. We didn't have to understand all of that. And it's in that fixing that broken relationship that we experience the forgiveness of sins. And that things are transformed. But when Jesus steps into the scene, right, and he's not from this tribe, he's not from this family, all of a sudden, everything gets turned upside down and they're like, what is going on? Which actually brings us to our second point. So if Jesus isn't from the tribe of Levi, he's not from the family of Abraham, is he actually a priest? Does he actually have the ability to fix what's broken? Pick up with me again in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5. That's why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become a high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. All right. So it appears the short answer to the question, is Jesus a priest? Is yes. He is. He was chosen by God to be a priest. However, it also appears he's a different kind of priest, right? We haven't heard of this Melchizedek guy in the Old Testament. He's only in like one chapter. We'll get there in just a minute. But he's not a, he's not a priest in the order of Aaron. He's from some guy called Melchizedek. Okay, anyone still with me out here? I, I, I know, we're deep in the woods, right? But I'm just walking through the text. If I could change it, I would. It'd be a lot easier to understand, but this is the way the guy writes it, right? So I know it's a lot, but I promise what we're getting to is really important. So who is Melchizedek? Well, the author of Hebrews summarizes his story for us at the beginning of Hebrews chapter seven, and that's where we're gonna flip in just a minute. But his story is actually told, or his story is actually told in Genesis chapter 14. So if you're somebody who like loves all the details, write down Genesis 14, go home and read it. You can hear the whole story. That's really the one chapter is all we get about Melchizedek. And then the psalmist quotes him a little bit later, right? So the background that the, that the author of Hebrews doesn't give us, it's ancient times. Kings are out to war. They're invading other countries to take their land, to take their power, to take their people. Sounds frighteningly familiar. Maybe a little too soon, but frighteningly familiar. And in one of those invasions, this king goes in and he captures some of the Israelite people and he takes Abraham, remember? The guy who God said, you're going to be my people. He takes his nephew. And so Abraham is like, uh, no, you are not going to capture my, ne- my nephew. So Abraham goes and gets a group of kings and they invade to get Lot back, right? And so they go in, they get Lot back, they get all the stuff, they get everything that was stolen from him in the war, they take it back, they're on the way home, and the king and priest of Salem, Melchizedek, meets them there. He offers them some bread and some wine, gives them nourishment, blesses them, and then there's this weird thing that Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything they've taken. 
Now, if you've been around church world forever, a tenth is a tithe, right? It's the, the portion that God is due. So pick up, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of the Most High God. When Abraham was returning home from winning a great battle after the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice. The king of Salem means king of peace. There's no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the son of God. This is clear as mud, right? You guys are totally like, oh, I totally get why Jesus is in the line of Melchizedek and not Aaron. It totally makes full sense now. If it does to you, you should be up here. Took me a better part of like 60 hours this week trying to figure out, okay, how do we make this thing understandable? Melchizedek is a priest of the most high God in Genesis chapter one, or Genesis chapter 14. God doesn't establish the priesthood with Aaron until Exodus chapter 40. So if you know your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and then the numbers just go in sequential order. Genesis goes all the way to 50 and then 40. So we got like, you know, a good 80 chapters almost between Melchizedek and the establishment of Aaron's priesthood. The Israelites don't even exist yet. It's just Abraham. There's no Israelite people. They don't exist as a people until they're enslaved in Egypt. But here all of a sudden is this priest. Now what's unique about Melchizedek is if you're going to be a priest in the Old Testament, how do we just say you become a priest? By your family line. You have to be a priest, tribe of Levi, family of Aaron, right? Are we tracking? Give me a little nod. Some of you are like nodding like this. You're asleep already. I understand, right? I get it. It's deep. But he has no family lineage. He has no genealogy. And there's no priest before him that we know of, right? So it seems like as long as Melchizedek's priest, his priestly line exists. As long as he lives, he was a priest. There's no, in the Old Testament with the, Priests of Aaron, there was a priest, and then he would, there was a high priest, and then he would die, and one of the other priests would be raised up, and then he would die, and then another one would come up. And so there was this cyclical thing that there was always a priest. But with Melchizedek, it's like, well, he's priest until he dies, and then he's not priest, and where does that priesthood go? It's actually a little foreshadowing what would happen if there was a priest in the line of Aaron or in the line of Melchizedek who never died. Melchizedek's priesthood in Genesis chapter 14 establishes the possibility of a priest who will live forever. But no one is able to actually fulfill that until who? Jesus, right? Are we starting to track, starting to put a few pieces together? Melchizedek's this priest. He's not a priest because of his family. He's a priest because God called him to be a priest. And he's the only priest in his line. So if his line went on forever through the power of Jesus, he's a different kind of priest. Jesus is our perpetual, ongoing, constant, 
forever priest. All right, let's go back to what are we trying to unpack this morning? What are we, what are we trying to get to? The true priest makes peace between God and us forever, right? So a priest makes peace between God and us by offering sacrifices. But that priest dies, and he, and he was fallen and not perfect, so he couldn't make perfect peace because he had to offer sacrifices for himself. And when he dies, his reign can't be forever. But by being a priest in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus establishes a priesthood that now isn't dependent on family line and can continue forever. Which brings us to our third question this morning. So we know what a priest is, right? Somebody who mediates between God and us, called and can forgive sins, right? That's a priest. We've established that Jesus is a priest based on the words of Hebrews, but he's a different kind of priest. He's not Aaron, he's Melchizedek. I should make you guys all say Melchizedek so we make sure we get out of here with that. So the third question is, is Melchizedek's line or is Jesus greater than Old Testament priests? Turn back to your text. Hebrews 7, chapter 11, or verse 11. So if the priesthood of Levi on which the law was based could achieve the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who's like Melchizedek has appeared, Jesus became a priest, not by meeting physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist points this out when he prophesied, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirements about the priesthood are set aside because it was, this is the Bible, weak and useless, for the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Jesus' priesthood, because it's not built on family heritage, but on a life that can't be destroyed, is better than the Old Testament priesthood. The law was weak and useless. Imagine the idea of thinking or having to live in this concept that if we sacrificed an animal on an altar, it could change our hearts. That's like me having a giant hole in my engine, pulling out of my car and oil just pouring all over the, the driveway and the road and me thinking, you know what? If I put a new spark plug in this, it'll run just perfect, right? It's not gonna run just perfect. It's broken. And God created the animal sacrifice. He established the priesthood of the Old Testament so that we know we can't do this on our own, right? If you've read the Old Testament, it is page after page after page of the Israelites not doing what they're supposed to do. Like, we come to church in a nice gym with nice lighting. It's all, everything looks good. You make my bald head look decent online except for the shine. It's great. It's pretty. When the Israelites came to worship, it was a bloodbath. Because they had to kill sheep and ram and oxen and they burnt stuff because their relationship with God was severed. Because the law was weak and useless. It didn't actually change their heart. And Jesus' priesthood is not built 
on the sacrifice of an animal. It's built on Jesus' perfect obedience to what God the Father asked him to do. Flip back to Hebrews 5. I told you we were going back and forth. 5-7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus' perfect obedience. Jesus did what the Old Testament priests couldn't do. They couldn't obey the law. They couldn't keep the law. Jesus came and he lived a perfect sinless life. And he didn't put an animal on the altar. He obeyed God even to the point of death and put himself on the cross. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his blood spilled out, eternal salvation is available for us. Because Jesus didn't end his life on the cross. He died and three days later he walked out of the tomb. Before he got to the cross, Jesus was tempted just like you and I are tempted, but he never gave in. He never made a mistake. But when he walked out of that grave, he established a priesthood forever that would never fade, that would never go away. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He permanently gave us a chance to be made right with God. Listen to Hebrews 7, 23 and 24. There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. Every Old Testament priest had the same problem. They died, right? It's just kind of inevitable. But Jesus lives forever and his priesthood lasts forever. So yes, the answer to our question, the answer to our statement is Jesus is the true priest, makes peace between God and us forever. Jesus is the true priest who through his death on the cross, his walking out of the grave and conquering death, conquering sin, establishes a priesthood forever. That means we are now at peace with God. So the fourth and final question, the one that hopefully will make the most sense and bring all this and be like, why did we take that long journey through Melchizedek? This, my snarky way of asking this question is, so what? Right? So what? What's it matter? The question is, why do we need a priest? Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who came to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He's the kind of high priest we need because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. We need a high priest because, folks, we're not okay. None of us. Not one of us in this room is okay. Now, we're real good. We're real good at putting on that smiling, happy face and saying, oh, yeah, life's great. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. The truth is, under the surface, we're not okay. We're all broken. We've all got something going on in our lives. If you don't have anything personally, we live in a world that's constantly at war. 
This week it's Russia. For the past 20 years, it's been us in Afghanistan. Those are just the wars that make the news. They're not the little ones that happen all around the world that we don't even know about. But it's not just national wars. We have little wars in our lives all over the place. We're at war with our neighbors. We're at war with our friends. We're at war with our coworkers. We wouldn't say war, right? We'd say, well, we had a disagreement. Well, I built that six-foot privacy fence between my house and theirs because we just had a little disagreement, right? I just wanted to make a big border so they knew not to cross it. That's war. Maybe we're at war with our family. You know, there's something that we don't talk about often because we don't know how everybody will respond, but maybe we're not really getting along that well with our spouse or we're not getting along that well with our kids or our mom or our dad and we're trying to figure it out. We're at war with ourselves. Every day, we fight temptation. We fight desires that we have that we're not proud of. We fight with the desire to put myself above you and you fight with the desire to put yourself above your neighbor or your spouse. And that's why we're at war with those people is because we want what we want. And that's a battle in our own heart. And that war rages every day. And for some of us, it rages every minute of every day. And we wonder, how can I win? I just keep losing. Maybe we think, oh, I, got, I, I won the battle. And we lose the battle. And then we win the battle. And it's this pull back and forth. We're at war with God. That sin in our life is a war between us and God. It's a brokenness in our relationship. It's the brokenness of the world we live in. It's the brokenness of Genesis chapter 3. And Jesus came and he said, listen, I can put an end to that. Let me be your priest. Let me be the one that intercedes on your behalf. We need a priest who intercedes for us every day. Every day, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he makes continual peace between us and God. It's through his sinless life, his death and resurrection that we're made perfect. All we have to do is choose to believe that he is who he says he is. And that's the truth of Baptism Sunday. Every person who got baptized to this morning has said, Jesus, you are the one who provided peace between God and I, and I accept you as my savior. I accept you as my priest, the one who intercedes with God on my behalf. And then we baptize them as a public confession so that they tell everybody, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he means to me. That baptism is like me wearing my wedding ring. It says to everyone, I'm married. Hebrews 4.15 says, Our high priest, the high priest of ours, understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we did, and yet he did not sin. Jesus was right there. He knows what this life is like. He doesn't stand far away. He came and walked beside us. He came and walked in our shoes and he did it perfectly. 
And we need him as our high priest, not just because we're not okay, but because life is hard. Can we be honest? All that war we fight, all those battles we fight makes life really hard. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The truth is we struggle with sin. We struggle with our own mental health or we know someone who does. We struggle with physical ailments every day. We struggle with broken relationships. We struggle with our relationship with God. We make mistakes. We treat people bad. Life is hard. And if we're gonna make it through this life, we need a priest we can trust. We need a priest who said, I know, I've been there. I lived in those shoes and I'm gonna hold as tight to you as I can. Romans 8 says, nothing can stop the love of God. If we're gonna make it through this life, we need a priest who is faithful when we are not. We need a priest who, priest who has grace and mercy for our mistakes. We need a priest who will be there in our deepest hurt. Not one who's weak and who might just die. We need a priest who's gonna keep walking through us, with us. The true priest makes peace between God and us forever. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life so we can experience forgiveness. He's the one who brought the perfect sacrifice so our sins could be forgiven. He's the one who conquered death so we can live. He's the one who lives forever and is with us every moment. Yes, Jesus is the greatest priest of all time. And today, if you're in this room this morning and you're struggling, you're like, I came here and I don't even get this whole priest thing, but I came here because life is hard. I get, I get that. I get that I'm not okay. And that's why I came, because I hope I could figure out who this Jesus is, because I've heard maybe he can change my life. The truth is the same for you and for me as it was for that friend who was lowered through the roof. Jesus looks at us. And when we say, I believe you are the son of God, he says, your sins are forgiven. Peace is established between you and God the Father. And when the Father looks at you, he'll see me. He'll see my blood that makes you holy and perfect and righteous. And if you're here today and you've never experienced that, please don't leave this place without talking to somebody about it. That's what we exist for is to help you take that next step. And church, if you're here today and you're like, I get it, I know Jesus is my priest. Be reminded of the fact that every day, in every minute, with every struggle, Jesus is walking beside you. You are not alone. You are not in this fight alone. He is right there and he is interceding. He's come to set you free of the guilt and shame that you feel. He's come to say, I know you're not perfect and this side of heaven you never will be, but you're loved and I'm here for you, to walk with you. And so go in boldness as we live this week. Will you pray with me?
Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are our high priest, that your son came and did what the old priesthood couldn't do, and that, God, you set us free. God, thank you for the ways you love us, for the fact that you wanted to be in a relationship with us because, God, if you didn't establish that relationship, it never would have happened. But, God, because you established it, we are set free. God, may we feel that love and may we know that truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.